Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Your source for big and tall. It's off tackle. Empire! Welcome to the summer preview series for Big Ten 2022 here on Off Tackle Empire, your podcast for Off Tackle Empire. We're here to discuss the entire Big Ten in reverse order of finish. And once the Illinois crew isn't batting leadoff, but we're going to give you a summer long preview series that's roughly the length of football season to get you hyped up for football season. It's the beginning of May. And there will not be any football for nearly four months. Uh, however, uh, that is currently a comfort to our contributor, Buff Komodo, who is here to discuss the Indiana Hoosiers. Uh-huh. Now, they haven't been here in this leadoff spot for quite some time. But, uh, you know, it's, it, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. That it does. That it does. So Indiana's whole deal was yeah, just, you know, perhaps they couldn't score points, and uh, eventually, this led to points getting scored against them, and uh, that is yeah, perhaps perhaps the least sarcastic sign we've had yet that nature is healing. Um, checking in now with the Hoosiers well before Memorial Day, as we used to in the before times, and then there was sort of this slow build for, you know, Tom Allen, even the back half of the Kevin Wilson there, things have been promising. Um, but a lot of things just fell apart last year and it's kind of hard to sort through the wreckage and identify one specific problem, but here's, so from the, out, here's what I think we can do is maybe I'll tell, say what it looks like from the outside. And then I'd be very interested to hear um, Buff's opinion as a more knowledgeable program, man. Um, what I think the real problem here was honestly, it all comes back to the offensive line for me, because this is always, this has been a program under Tom Allen. That's always been tilted towards the defense. Anyway, the offense has sort of declined since the last of the Kevin Wilson players. And especially since Kalen DeBoer, the former offensive coordinator left, things really started to nosedive on the offense there. But even though they've had this reputation as being a good running team between the tackles with Stevie Scott, they were actually never that efficient. That certainly was still the case last year. And the line has also been bad enough that they've had real trouble keeping their quarterbacks healthy, especially Michael Penix Jr. And then last year, he wasn't even the only guy who got hurt. He gets hurt. Jack Tuttle plays a little bit, and then he gets hurt. Now you're playing a true freshman in Donovan McClay. Another guy had sustained an offseason injury, so their depth chart was even thinner than it would have been. So the last Mr. month Williams, of the season, yeah. they're alternating between, between a very talented true freshman and McCauley, a guy who's got a lot of promise, but is nowhere near ready for the field and the walk-on. So when that happens, the offense just ground completely to a halt. The defense was really good, especially towards the beginning of the season. But as the year went on, it kind of felt like 
between the bird and there, I mean, there it was 2012 Michigan State, right? Or, you know, any, any number of the less dynamic Michigan State teams under D'Antonio where you're counting on the defense to hold the opponent to 10 points or fewer because the offense just isn't going to do anything. And it's just asking too much. They're on the field the whole game. And then also towards the end of the season, they had injuries that started to pile up as well. And the offense was never able to help them out. That's what it felt like from the outside. Uh, maybe I'm oversimplifying things. What's your thought there? The simplest way to explain what happened, what, what went wrong. I think that you're absolutely correct. Um, I think that it really starts in the off season with the assumption that the quarterback position was locked down and that the offensive line was up to snuff. And so you overhype a season, which to be fair, you kind of had earned over the past couple of years. Um, you lead into your first possession against Iowa. You throw a pick six and you throw two pick sixes in the first half. Um, you know, I can forgive a trouncing in Iowa. And then you actually compete with Cincinnati for the entire game, really. That was not a 14. I mean, it ended up being a 14-point game, but it wasn't a 14-point game. Um, and so really after you see the team just kind of quit offensively for sure. And then once the trouncing from, uh, Ohio state commenced, the defense kind of gave up and you saw what happens whenever a team stops believing or stops caring, uh, during the back four games of the season. It, it felt like losing at Maryland the way that they did. Um, really that was the last spark went out then really i think yeah, it I mean, turned so... in the michigan state game i think that i think the michigan state game if they win the michigan state game it was a 15 to 20 loss where they threw yet another pick six um i think that they're able to write the ship because they believe in themselves a little bit you know you get that third win i think at that point you'd be 3 and 4 maybe um I'm um, not looking at the schedule. The six second would have been yeah, that's three, three wins. Yeah, um, yeah, three and four um, with know, a win over a number ten team. Correct, and having you know pissed away the game against UC, you're still halfway to bowl eligibility against yeah, we, what was admittedly the the hardest half of your schedule. Um, you know, guys see a little oh, bit of light. Far, yeah, yeah, um, and I think that I think that that really solidified be. how the season was going to go. It does have to be remembered how, how difficult that schedule was. We talked about this during the season last year after they got, I mean, they, so at the end of September, they're two and two, and then they didn't win another game the rest of the way. But those first several games is like, all right, look, this is a brutal start to the schedule. They still have a chance to get off the, off the mat here. But yeah, that stretch at Penn State, Michigan State, Ohio State in October clearly took so much out of them, both spiritually and that injuries by that point. Penix Jr. and Tuttle were both hurt by the time the Ohio State game was over. Uh, and yeah, the wheels just fell off. The, the uh, visit to Maryland was their last competitive game. Um, they were not really a, a threat to win any of their games in November. Um, and then sort of the aftermath of that, uh, Michael Penix Jr. transfers to spend, I don't think it's his last year. I think he could have a couple more years if he chose, but he transfers to Washington Um so you've got Jack Tuttle returning, Donovan McCauley, who probably still needs time in the oven before he's field ready, but does look like he could be the future of quarterback position. So Tom Allen, to his credit, 
it, not being too stubborn to look for help at positions where it's needed. Um, goes in the portal and gets Connor Bazalak or Bazalak. I'm not sure how to say the name. I have no idea. But he started for a couple of years at Mizzou. He's all right. I mean, he's not a superstar or anything, but he's an experienced power five starter. Has played an SEC schedule. So um, probably an upgrade from anybody else they had. I would assume he's penciled in as the starter. Is that fair? I think that's pretty fair. Um, I think that you've really seen all out of Jack Tuttle that you're going to see. And that uh, if, if, if we come back here and have a discussion in August and coach Tom Allen has named uh, Jack Tuttle as the starter, I think they're going to be real trouble uh, troubles brewing in Bloomington. Yeah. And it's worth noting whoever, or does end up as the starting quarterback. They're going to have new pieces in place around them. Um, the offensive line will mostly be intact. I think Caleb Jones is the only loss there. But honestly, given the way that group has performed, I got like I remember when Matthew Bedford took that starting job as a true freshman. I thought they had a stud on their hands. He hasn't quite become what I thought he would be. And the interior line has been nothing to write home about either. And then there's the other thing. They had this group of what looked like they should have been incredible weapons. A disappointing season. There was no two ways about it from Ty Freifogel. Um, Peyton shot was fine, but not the kind of tight end who's going to break a game in, a, in the Big Ten. And then, again, Stephen Carr, kind of the same thing you got with Stevie Scott, where it's like, yeah, he can get a couple of yards here or there, but he's not going to make two or three guys miss when he's met at the line with no hole to run through. So those three guys are all gone. It's going to be a different group of weapons. Um, they did, I, again some credit here because Tom Allen comes off again. He, I know I make these comparisons all the time, but he reminds me really strongly of Mark D'Antonio. So that he was willing to throw an ineffective offensive coordinator to the curb, I think should be in, you know, a sign of hope there. Um, Nick Sheridan is out and now um, they're going to replace him with Walt Bell. So formerly the co- head coach of UMass. He kill me, a kill me now. Record in most of the season. Punt. Punt my head halfway across the nation. I had this conversation in the comments today, and I've written it down about five times. The Walt Bell hire is quite possibly the least inspired pick I've ever seen. Um, Tom Allen has gone yeah. one for three so far on offensive coordinators, and this is his fourth. And the only time he's found success is whenever he ventures outside of his coaching tree. And he decided to stay in his coaching tree for this hire. And I can tell you, it's not going to go well. So um, if it's worth Tom Allen, if it's worth Tom Allen really staking his job on it, um, you know, maybe it'll be worth it. But I have a bad feeling that at the end of 2022, Tom Allen's seat's going to be really hot because this isn't going to be how he thinks it's going to go. It feels sort of like you would have to have a pretty cataclysmic season of, for a second year in a row for that to happen. But at the same time, you know, given that you have so many of the pieces now from the 2019 and 2020 teams gone, um, it's not outside the realm of possibility to have another absolute, uh, well, for lack of a better word, shit show. Well, let's look at it from this perspective. Since, tw- since that first six and six season, Indiana has been a 500 team, excluding last year. Indiana has been a 500 team. Uh, they had like six and six, or I'm sorry, six and seven, six and seven, five and seven, five and seven, 
then they go eight and five and six and two. You know, that's that's a period of time where if you're a student there, you don't know anything other than 500 football. Like the fact that your team is two and 10 this year, like that's a big disappointment. They've been ranked. They were ranked the beginning of the year and they fell apart. I mean, there's a there's a class of Indiana Hoosiers kids that are spoiled because Indiana is not their father's Indiana football team now. So I absolutely believe that with another clunker, Tom Allen's seat's going to be very, very hot. And I think even missing a bowl game this year, uh, there will be a lot of grumblings, especially if the wrong person gets fired at a different school um, that the boosters like. Because there's there's a whole thing with, uh, you know, that you see with a lot of struggling programs where the question is, did the coach build a program or did they build a team, Right. You look at mm-hmm. the one, the example yeah. I like to yeah. cite is, uh, I mean, obviously you had, you know, Ron Zook with the Rose Bowl team, but the best example to me is remember Mike McIntyre at Colorado? <laughs> yes. He, he built a team that I think so, in his, yeah. what was his third year or was it his fifth year that won 10 games and then he was out of there inside mm-hmm. of two years because, you know, for whatever reason, that was where all the experience landed and then things just didn't gel after that. Um, See also Gene Chizik. Uh, yeah, Auburn, and you know that's a little bit of a different situation because that's just being the guy who paid Cam Newton the most. But yeah, it's you. We see this all the time, and the given the way that this has developed and the way that Tom Allen got to the highs they had those couple years ago, I would not have thought that it was a team versus a program. But we're gonna find out because they have to remake the defense this year. A lot of transition and that's the soul of the team has been on that group. I mean, Micah McFadden is the avatar of this program. Um, he's, I forget where he got drafted, but was a late round pick in the draft. His fifth round. Yeah. And so uh, aside from him, they're losing some guys in the D line, um, Michael Zemba, Ryder Anderson, Weston Kramer, um, also Marcelino McCrary ball, a kind of a live linebacker safety hybrid position that they play. And then Raheem Lane, a safety is gone. Um, that secondary is probably going to be the strength of the whole team. Um, Taiwan Mullen passed on the draft. He had a lot of injuries last season, but man, he's been great since he was a true freshman. I've, he, that's the kind of guy where I'm like, damn, I wish he played for my team. Um, and he's got all seniors around him. Jalen Matthews on the other corner and then Bryant Fitzgerald and Devin Matthews in the back. Um, how do you feel about where this defense goes, especially with so much turnover in the front seven? I mean, they do still have Cam Jones in the linebacker group, but other than that, a lot of new faces. Um, I feel pretty good about the defense, to be honest. Uh, they got a Indiana sports, a new defensive coordinator this year as well. Um, Chad Wilt, I believe is his name. He's the former Minnesota defensive line coach. But the thing is, Tom Allen has decided to take back play calling from the defensive coordinator. So Tom Allen will be acting as play caller on defense as well. So having not done that in two or three years, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. Um, And I don't consider Tom Allen – I love Tom Allen, but I don't consider Tom Allen a great football mind or strategist. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I will say also that Tom Allen, recognizing that perhaps he doesn't have an infinite leash or feeling more of an urgent need, uh, they hit the portal very hard is the point that I'm uh, getting around here. So 
defense. Well, hell, they lost 29 guys. Yeah, yeah. Since, and it, yeah. since last since last fall camp, they have had 29 guys enter the transfer portal. That is a lot. It's a lot, but it. I got to tell you, like Mel Tucker's had similar numbers at MSU. He's gone out and got. I think. I think that number is not going to seem so outlandish after another couple of years of this new world we're living in. It is a lot. Don't get me wrong. Um, it just means that the coaches have to adjust to new guys quicker. And there's a lot of guys coming in with high major experience that should be useful. So defense, just defensively, um, you have mm-hmm. J.H. Tevis from Cal. He's a tackle type. Um, Miles Jackson who's more of an edge from UCLA. Um, Bradley Jennings Jr., linebacker from Miami. And then two more guys, entertainingly enough, two more defensive linemen from Ole Miss where they got Ryder Anderson last year, and he was a pretty, you know, a successful player for him. So they go back to the Ole Miss pipeline for more defensive linemen um, with Patrick Lucas and Ladarius Cox. So a lot of incomers from Power Five ranks. Offensively, it's a little more of a mix. So Stephen Carr was a one and done, and Samson James finally did decide to leave, and I'm sure he's not going to be, um, he's not going to be missed very much by. Hoosier faithful as he decided to head to West Lafayette. Um, so yeah, that's going to play well. <laughs> we to restock the running back group, um, bringing in Sean Shivers from Auburn, a guy who never really played a whole lot. Josh Henderson from North Carolina. And then there's uh, true freshman Jalen Lucas. That'll be a whole different group. Um, Shiver me timbers. Yeah. Three more wide receivers too. Um, there's Cam Camper from the Juco ranks, Anderson Kobe from Tennessee and Emory Simmons, another guy from North Carolina. So what, what do you not see on that list though? What do you not see? Offensive linemen. <laughs> the I offensive think... linemen, they picked up no offensive linemen in the portal. They okay. also decided to retain the current offensive line coach who has proceeded to ruin the careers of tried to ruin the career of Peyton Ramsey, uh, ruin the career of Michael Penix probably, and proceeds to get Jack Tuttle walloped on a daily basis. So yeah. uh, I'm gonna tell you this. I keep saying this and I think as the transfer portal becomes more prevalent, I'm going to be proven increasingly correct on this. Offensive line is the hardest position to get in the transfer portal, not as far as the quality of players that you can get, but as far as how much really transfers over, right? Like when you're talking about an impact receiver, that's just a pure athlete. You can, you can plug them in. You've seen quarterbacks go in and have success. I think offensive linemen are the ones that are going to be the most difficult to plug in, you know, unless you're getting guys that were high level starters at, you know, that were very good starters at power five programs and transferring up like uh, what that Rutgers do to Ohio state. I stand corrected. There is one offensive lineman that they picked up in April uh, from West Texas A&M. Ah, well, I'm sure that'll translate. Six foot six, 308 pounds. He had offers from Rice, Louisiana Tech, UNLV, and Sam Houston State and Tulsa. So that's who we're scrapping with for our offensive line. Well, he's got the body. Um, he does. I think, I think to Steve's point, it's fair to say that you don't necessarily want to try to rebuild an entire offensive line. Um, and I, I mean, I saw that with Michigan State, where even with a constantly underperforming unit in the late D'Antonio era, that was the one spot where Mel Tucker didn't bother bringing in an entirely new room of guys, even though on paper it could have been justified. But they did go out and get one decent starter in Jarrett Horst, who was an instant upgrade at left tackle and solidified everything else. 
So you can't improve your offensive line through the transfer portal. You probably shouldn't try to rebuild it. And I, you don't really see teams doing that or trying to. But that's the one position group where you're going to see the lowest hit rate on guys as far as immediate contributors are concerned. Yeah. Well, it's also a spot where the proven guys, I have to think their teams do whatever is necessary to hold on. To them. <laughs> so, yep. Absolutely. Um, last little detail before we get to the schedule, um, as far as the prep class goes, it's actually a pretty good group coming in a couple guys that you're going to see. I think Dason McCullough is probably the likeliest to see the field on defense, um, sort of an edge linebacker combo type. Uh, have to imagine we're going to find ways to use him at least in pass rush situations. We mentioned this, you know, they've got a few transfers coming in in the wide receiver group, but probably still going to play Omar Cooper as well. Um, and then the last guy who caught my attention was Travell Mullen, um, younger brother of Taiwan Mullen. But again, the secondary is the strength of the whole team. I, they could probably redshirt him. Maybe they'll play him, but I don't think they need to. Don't forget about DJ Moore, an interior offensive lineman from Fort Wayne. We were just talking about the offensive line. Uh, the media was very high on him. He's six foot five, 315 pounds. Uh, just a very good lineman that uh, they were very happy to tout. Um, also, Indi- don't read too much into the recruiting rankings for Indiana. Indiana has a real knack for picking up four stars that never play. Um, see Samson James, see uh, the wide receiver, uh, Richard Lewis. Is, no, that's not it. Uh, they had a four-star they, – they have four-star recruits that come and go all the time but never get any playing time. Um, and Donovan McCauley Jr. last year, four-star recruit coming in, apparently he can't throw the ball. So, yeah. That's, yeah. that's the risk we have with the dual threat guys who are basically just the best athlete on their high school team, right? Of course, you know, the other thing is that I don't know that Indiana is replacing is the fantastic name contingent. I do like Cam Camper for that as far as whimsical names on the IU roster. But, you know, we go back to glory days when you had a, a you, you were trotting out, you know, Fry Fogel, Coy Cronk, Michael Penix, uh, just a lot of really good stuff. I don't know that they're going to quite be able to be at that level, although they do still have, uh, um, oh my God, what's the uh, CEO? No, t- who's the guy? You know uh, what I'm talking I, about. I cannot pronounce his name. Yes. I don't have the name uh, on me. It's very Samoan. Um, is. <laughs> With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Seo Nofogatotoa. That's the guy I was talking about on the defensive line. So anyways, that at the very least is definitely their uh, 
their their leader as far as the whimsical names that you're so used to seeing out of Indiana these last several years is concerned. Um, Definitely their longest name. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's Jack, of course. I like Tuttles, but he's he's gone now. <laughs> uh, yeah, so but he's not gone, but I don't think that people. I I do not think Hoosiers fans like Tuttles that much. No, I, I think I think if he's back on the field, um, things have gone a direction that that Hoosier fans would not prefer they had. So. Um, I think we lost this when our recording cut out, so I'll jump through the schedule from the start one more time here. Um, it's a considerably easier season opener, hosting Illinois instead of going to Iowa. They then repeat last year's non-conference. They host Idaho. They host Western Kentucky. They go to Cincinnati. Western Kentucky should be a lot more gettable. That was a game they won last year, but boy, they could have lost it if Western Kentucky had played a little more aggressively. But Bailey Zappi is gone. A bunch of their wide receivers and weapons transferred away. So that's not going to be the same kind of uh, challenge that it was last year. At Cincinnati could be tough, but they did lose a ton of players from last year's playoff team. So still a tougher game than you're going to get from most mid-major opponents, but not as tough as it was last year. Now, that being said, Indiana has probably lost more, especially from their defense. The crossovers... With the West Division R, Illinois, as we mentioned, um, at Nebraska and Purdue to end the season. If That said, though, if they get off to a 3-0 start, that Illinois game feels big because Idaho and Western Kentucky should both be wins. Then they have what I think is kind of the linchpin in determining which direction their season goes. Consecutive road games with Cincinnati and Nebraska. They split those and get to 4-1. and one. I think it's fair to feel like Tom Allen has studied the ship a bit. Um that being said, though, it would be smart to get those wins early. The schedule is backloaded. So the downside of getting an easier slate up front is that November goes like this. Penn State at home, at Ohio State, at Michigan State, Purdue at home. That could be a very long, stressful month if Indiana gets to November with only five wins. Um, Buff Komodo, any thoughts on that? Am I misassessing this? How do you feel about the schedule looking at it, given what you think about the team? Yeah, it's it's pretty much what you just said. We'll find out probably after week four where this season's going to go. If Indiana is anything other than three and one heading into Nebraska, um, I think that it's going to be a very long year again. Um, and God forbid if you're able to actually pull off a 4-0 start or perhaps even a 5-0 start and headed to that Michigan game, uh, Michigan-Maryland homestand, you could be – we could be back to riding high on Coach Tom Allen. I don't foresee that happening. I would not place any amount of money on it, but it it's not the schedule that it was last year. You don't look at it and go, well, they can't get that. Well, they can't get that. Well, they've they've won at Lincoln before. You know, you got three straight home games against Illinois, Idaho, Western Kentucky. You should expect to win those if you're Indiana. That's not all places that Paul Petrino has been. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Be careful. You could end up summoning him if you if you brought up against too many places where he's been. Well, my question is this. Would it be fair to say that Tom Allen is now a coach that is going into kind of a make or break season where, you know, of course, every game in such a season is important, but, you know, in theory, 
the first hurdle should be you got to get past Illinois, right? Because none of this shit matters if you don't, right? Would it be fair to say that that might be the case? It's close. I don't listen. Tom Allen has done an exceptional job with the program as a whole, setbacks included. Um, I want to caution away from the knee jerk reaction of if this season goes poorly again, he's going to get fired. I don't think that's the case. However, it kind of depends on why and how how off the rails it goes, right? That's Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to go to. It, it really depends on how bad it gets. If we're staring down the barrel of another one win, two win seasons, I don't think that – it would be incredibly hard to justify yeah. keeping him into 2023 because the way that football is now, you can't afford to have a third bad year yeah. without it being a rebuild, a true rebuild. But um, you know, and they return enough talent this year that they can compete. So yeah, if Cincinnati reloads and they're a top 10 team again and Nebraska ends up finally living up to all the talent they have and they win nine or 10 games. Um, yeah, I, there, I can see a scenario where not making a bowl game isn't necessarily a backbreaker for Tom Allen, but it's obviously not a good look, as you say. Um, got to hang change very quickly these days. Yeah, you've got to hang around that 500. I think you can miss a bowl game at five and seven. Um, but I don't think – and at, at four and eight, perhaps, but you start getting down to three wins, two wins, one win, uh, that seat's going to get turned up real quick. You don't necessarily want to put specific guidelines for, 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 for what a train wreck is, but, you know, I, you're Indiana football fan. You know it when you see it, okay? Right. It's like, <laughs> it's like smut in the Supreme Court, right? Uh, yeah. It's like – like uh, like Illinois twenty eighteen, they went they went four and eight, which was a two game improvement. Okay, but they 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 allowed three sixty three burgers. They lost sixty three to nothing. Like okay, what if they had the worst four and eight season ever? Well, that's not quite the same thing. <laughs> yeah, is, and I mean, know it when you see it. And I mean, Tom Allen does have the program trending in the right direction, even just by being in the Big Ten East. Indiana had what the fifth or fourth or sixth best recruiting class in the conference one of the best recruiting classes they've ever had um part of that was because they had to replace 29 players but um, and it's just hard to do anything speaking of last year when just it seemed like from the get-go everything that they had installed on offense was totally doomed and they couldn't think of anything else to do you know like from from the start just a pick a pick six on the third play from scrimmage it just felt like a 50-yard run they didn't believe in any of the stuff they've been working on all off season, you know, and that makes you know, it really hard to, they, there was not a touchdown pass in conference play thrown to a skill position player, not, t- not a tight end uh, until the Minnesota game. And that was via a walk on with a minute left. Ooh, boy, that yeah. is horrible. I think there's no better way to summarize the, the season that Indiana football had, then to say, let's talk about basketball. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank God. Uh, better than just, just so long, so long as we just evaluate, will Walt Bell have any idea what to do against an even front? That is the most important thing to evaluate for the season opener. Is he going to have any idea what the hell to do if we line up in a 4 3? Because if so, he's a better coach than Scott Frost. <laughs> Oh, that wasn't a question that was asked, though. I would rather have Walt Bell over Scott Frost. <laughs> I, 
you know, in terms of an offensive coordinator, you could talk me into Frost. I, I think he would still, it's just like all the other stuff that he's struggled with. But anyway, this is not the Nebraska section. We get to that in two whole weeks because they're also going in May this year. That's right. Um, so as I was getting into, um, first season under Mike Woodson, I have to assume went better than expected, right? Um, after he, he took the job, you know, the whole team's in the portal, which is typical when a coach is fired. He convinces a lot of the important pieces to stay. And with that base level of talent, I think the goal, we might even have talked about this preseason, the goal had to be getting to the tournament. They did that. They win a play-in game. Certainly an up and down regular season to be sure. But I don't know how much more you realistically could have expected from a new coach, a guy who hasn't been around college for a long time um, and had a very weirdly shaped roster that I just don't understand how with the resources that Indiana has, Arch Miller built a team that was so bad at shooting the basketball, but he did. Yeah. Uh, I listen, the goal was always get to the big, get to the big dance, you know, have, have yourself an NCAA tournament game. That said, and with that mission accomplished, I don't know how you can look at how the season transpired and really be happy about it. You can be satisfied, but I would I would not go as far to say I would be happy because I believe I went back through and looked at all of the games where Indiana either had leads late or they choked it away at the end. And it was it was like six games. They could have finished 14 and six and been in that like third seed just by, just by maintaining leads. Um, And so even if you want to say, well, buff, you can't, you can't put all the six of those in the basket. Okay. You can say, you can take two. That's 11 and nine. Yeah. Now you're not sweating for the tournament. The question is what factor do you think is most responsible for that? Because I would can't shoot the ball. Yeah. Yeah, and I would argue then that that's, you know, it's hard to really, I guess, pin that all on on Woodson because when you're up against teams that have playmaking guards that will take over a game late that you have so many of in the Big Ten, well, you have enough of in the Big Ten. Well, and this this is really, that's part of the problem of their two best players last year being Race Thompson and Trace Jackson did. Davis, because when it comes down the stretch, I just looked at Jackson Davis numbers and he's a sub 70% free throw shooter, which is not terrible, but it's also the, it's also the kind of shooting split where, you know, a guy is not re, is not re, uh, sustainably going to win you the game at the line. And Thompson's about a 65% free throw shooter last year too. So your two best players, guys who you don't want to take off the floor because they're your veterans, but in both in terms of ball handling and in making those free throws, they're not the guys you want having the ball with the game on the line. And even though they're the ones who get you there with a lead most of the time, and Xavier Johnson obviously is the other guy who had a primary role in Indiana's offense for most of the season. You had spurts of greatness from other guys. I mean, I have to imagine, I don't know. I think most people think of it this way in games against your rival. If you have a given player who goes off and wins it for you, don't you think of it in your head as the that player game? Like for the the pandemic win over will always be the Ricky White game to Michigan State fans. I have to assume the win over Purdue this year is going to be the Rob Finnessy game for Indiana fans because you'll remember the performance that he had despite, especially when it's guys who are just kind of there 
otherwise. If they're not stars who are regularly winning you games, it really stands out if they do that kind of thing for you against a rival. So that was really, I kind of forget where I was going with this, but anyway, um, Zager Johnson, more of a slasher than a shooter, if I remember what I've seen of his game, Jackson Davis. Yeah, he not. Xavier really expanded his game this year. He yeah. he wasn't he's not a volume three point shooter, so he's not going to be you know catch shoot on the arc all the time. But he I think he shot thirty four percent from the three point line, which isn't bad considering the hitch that he's got. It's uh, it, it's it's serviceable at the point. You know, he plays a tough, hard-nosed style. He's a big, physical guy. Um, as long as he's not driving 90 miles an hour down Walnut, it uh, is... Also, I'm looking he, at his stats, and he, he hit 38% of his threes this year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's very capable. He's a very... he's He fits right into the Big Ten, and I think that next year he's going to be a, a an all-conference caliber guard. Yeah, he's certainly got that kind of ability. He should have that kind of opportunity. Um but yeah, it, it was certainly an up and down season for Indiana. The ability to close out games with making the clutch shots late was something that eluded them, but it also kind of felt like that's just the way this roster was designed. And there was only so much that Woodson could do about that in one off season. Um, so that high water mark was probably around the end of January, very shortly after that Purdue win. Indiana had gotten to seven and four in the conference. But then after that, they lost five straight games, probably needed both of the wins they got in the Big Ten tournament against Michigan and Illinois Mm -hmm. to get into the tournament because the non-conference schedule was pretty weak and Indiana didn't do much with it. A double overtime loss to a bad Syracuse team was a bit of an anchor. Not the worst thing you could do from an advanced stats perspective, but still they had to get work done in the conference because their non-con wasn't going to do much for them. Um, Looking ahead a little bit this season, there will be some transition there uh, in the backcourt in particular. Rob Finnessy is transferring. Um, he's going to Cincinnati. Parker Stewart returns to UT Martin where he transferred in from, if I, I think I have that right. That is correct. And, yeah, and then in maybe one of those what-if kind of moments, Christian Lander transferring to Western Kentucky. Man, talk about the hype versus the disappointment. Um, it happens sometimes with guys, and you feel like, I mean, between the pressure and the coaching transition, he reclassified. So he was a 17 year old freshman a couple of years ago. Um, it just did. So many times these reclassifications don't work if you're not the very tip top, physically dominant, you know, super freaking. That's just not what Lander was. Apparently, doesn't really fit the mold of what Woodson is looking for and getting Xavier Johnson back. I mean, I don't know how you justify playing Christian Lander more than eight, 10 minutes a game to give Johnson a break, honestly. So Christian, Christian Lander reclassified as we yeah. sit here. To, yeah. Sorry, Christian Lander reclassified uh, around that COVID year. I believe it was into 2020 um, where 2020, 2021 was his freshman, true freshman year. Yeah. And with all of the restrictions that you had with all of the, uh, you couldn't do workouts or you had to do workouts a certain way. He really missed out on a key uh, summer fall workout schedule that would have seen him it pay dividends. Like and yeah. then all season he dealt with injuries. Um, and so. Is that last uh, year when Archie Miller's flailing and, you know, the ship's taken on water. I kept, every time I put Indiana on, I was like, all right, when are they going to give this Lander kid some real run? And to the best of my recollection, they never really did, at least not when I was watching. 
No, he was Andrew, hurt. do you remember when they took down the baskets at all the parks around us to prevent people from like this was in 2020, but oh yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. I was just thinking about missing out on the summer working out and then having to do that all in your home. But then I remember around us, they took down all of the baskets at every park in the area. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so that's why Steve and I are both out of shape because we just missed that important conditioning summer. So uh, <laughs> I, I speak for myself. You're in better shape than I am. But anyway, um, as we sit here tonight, I believe Trace Jackson Davis is still in the draft, but has retained eligibility um, through selection of, uh, of agent carefully. Um, I see a lot of second round projections for him. And I ask you about this point blank in your answer. Why hasn't he gone to the draft? Well, because he can't shoot. And that's still the case. I don't know how the evaluation comes back any different this year. The guy still can't shoot. The guy doesn't try to shoot very much. Um, he could just be one of those guys who's a great college player that just doesn't fit what the modern NBA is. Um, the deadline all that going for, around. Yeah, a lot of deadline to return is June 1st. I expect he'll probably come back. Um, if, you, if you had to handicap it, what do you think the odds are that we see another year of Trace Jackson Davis in Bloomington? I think you're at 70-30. He's probably going to come back. I think that with the introduction of NIL, uh, he can make more money while staying closer to home instead of having to fight for, you know, a D league uh, yeah. or I'm sorry, a G league spot. Um, do you have any competition maybe, for his what? service? Do you have any competition for his services? That's the question that you have to ask. Um, now. Not particularly they just got a signee who was it uh i can't remember the kid but he but was steve, from steve is really getting at here he I was can, from he was yeah. Mo, he's from montverde academy he's from jalen hutchfino the guard that signed uh he's about six eight six nine he could fill a trace jackson davis spot you could also use jordan geronimo uh at the four with race at the five and play a little smaller um I mean, you have ways to replace him if he goes. What I, I don't getting at here is could a certain orange and blue school in the state to the west perhaps throw a bag at him to convince him to move? I don't think. No, what I was saying was, yeah, <laughs> that you might have other schools going after him because, like, we we've got a similar thing going on. We had a similar thing happen last year with with Kofi Coburn in Kentucky. Really wanted him, and that's going to be a thing that, as you see, players that don't really look like NBA prospects, but are clearly very good college players. That I think you're going to see more and more of is, is schools having to fight really hard to keep their guy. Um, not even if the draft doesn't look good well, for him. So hold on. So that being said, but I think you can also qualify uh, and throw relationships into there because Mike Woodson is the one who convinced trace to come back the first right. time they built the entire yeah. offense around it and trace for all of his faults this year, did have a fantastic year um, this year. I don't know. And the other and I have thing not is, heard of that relationship go being so soured that he would want to put his name in the transfer portal. Yeah. If he was going to go that route, you can do that. You can put your name in the portal and declare for the draft so mm -hmm. that other schools know and are able to contact you. Pete Nance did that for Northwestern. He's in the draft process right now and also in the transfer portal. So he's made it very clear, whatever I'm doing next year, I ain't coming back here. Um, if that was the angle Jackson Davis wanted, and I think Jackson Davis, probably, well, I don't know. I mean, between him and Pete Nance, who would you want more? Um, at Jackson Davis. I don't think that's even yeah. Um, So, yeah, we'll mention the recruiting. You mentioned Jalen hood Scafino. He's kind of the jewel of the class, which is number eight nationally in the composite 
overall, not bad at all for, again, a coach who they hire him and everyone's like, well, can you recruit? Yeah, probably. He's been an NBA coach for a long time. In addition to Hood Scafino, they get his teammate Malik Renault. That's the power forward I think you were talking mm-hmm. about from yesterday. Yep. Very nice prep talent factory along the lines of an IMG or, or whatever else to get a, a sort of a pipeline into. Uh, another top 80 overall power forward in Caleb Banks. So even if Jackson Davis leaves, I mean, you mentioned Race Thompson. He's already decided, decided that he's coming back. The front court should be just fine. They'll be younger, but, you know, they'll probably be pretty good. Um, Johnson alongside Hood Scafino looks like a decent starting backcourt to me, or maybe you bring him off the bench. Um, other thing is that there was some palace intrigue in Bloomington this offseason. Um Thad Mata was in a role where he was an assistant AD for basketball only. He got restless there, so he left for Xavier's open job. And then uh, former IU player and longtime Michigan State assistant Dane Fife, um, <laughs> Rob, or Mike Woodson brought him over after his first year, and Fife lasted all of one season. And uh, Woodson gave him the old yeet ho. Um, hard not to speculate here. And I'm sure there's plenty of stuff out there. I, I didn't really look for inside sources because it's more <laughs> oh, fun. Oh, wait, wait, do you, wait, do you really not know? Apparently, I mean, he, I can guess. Apparently he wouldn't shut up about right-wing conspiracy theories like with recruits and shit. <laughs> <laughs> like apparently he wouldn't fucking shut up about QAnon. And so if, this, I don't know if it was exactly that, but at this point, at some point, you know that this got back to Mike Woodson and what did he say to himself? Say it with me. Dane, God damn it. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, that was apparently huh, it. So that explains why we got Foster instead of Dwayne Washington, doesn't it? Um, boy. There there were definitely, <laughs> so, yeah, there were definitely conflicts uh, in that regard that were going on. That is that is a very well known. And if you look at Dane Five's Twitter, it, yeah, it, uh, <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Uh, apparently, um, he literally could not turn it off. Now, that was not the only thing that got him canned. Apparently, there were, and these are all based on hit pieces that came out after the the five firing. So take them as you will. But apparently, he was also not responsive to recruiting services that were getting a hold of him, uh, that were trying to get a hold, in touch with different uh, athletes. There was also the. Uh, disagreement on which direction the program should go. Um, and I believe also Dane Fife wanted some sort of lead in to become the next Indiana coach. Um, yeah. That's at the some point that, down the road. That was the angle so, I was going to get at, which is that, yeah. um, you know, Woodson is what, like 58 or so. Oh, he's in his sixties. Oh, oh no, he's like 64 or something. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. He might be 67, he's like mid sixties. So yeah, I, you could be right. I, I have no idea, but I, Anyway, I know I looked into this. I was like, all right, so the way this lines up, if I'm a guy, I think Fife is in his early 40s. So mm-hmm. presumably, yeah, he he made a lateral move um, to a program and a rebuild with the idea that, you know, Woodson's only going to be here a couple of years and I can kick him out and I'm the guy. Um, and, and you know that things had gone south because normally when these kinds of things happen, the head coach would be like, look, you need to go find another job. No, Woodson just fired him. Uh, and as of the last time I checked, just a couple of days ago, Fife still didn't have a new job. He's at Butler. Presumably, well, presumably he's just hanging out with Dan Dockich, um, you know, talking about the la- latest episode of the Joe Rogan experience or whatever. Uh, Look, when yeah. you play the Game of Thrones, you win 
or you get shit canned. Yeah, he he went he went with Thad Mata to Butler. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. And so it was Butler instead of Xavier. So I got that wrong too. Man, I am all over the place tonight. Well, what can I say? I'm not exactly in midseason form here, am I? But that brings an end to our Indiana episode here in B1G 2022. We thank you all for listening. We thank our Indiana contributor, Buff Komodo, for putting up with a lot of football talk so we could get to some sweet, sweet basketball, just being as Hoosier as you could possibly Always be. a pleasure. Yep. And once again, I'm Steve Brown, a.k.a. Tempestars. I'm here with Andrew Krzyzewski. We are signing off with one piece of advice to you, and that is if you're going to try to usurp power, maybe, you know, have some better, better role models for doing it. Your source for big and it's off tackle empire.